Welcome to Ellison's Connects, the official podcast by Ellison Solicitors, where we bring together expert professionals from a wide range of areas to discuss key developments and trends. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Ellison's Connects. In this episode, we'll be discussing repair and dilapidations. I'm Stuart Nicholson, an associate within the commercial property team, and I'm joined by our guest speaker today, Nigel Berry from Fen Wright, a partner and the head of the building consultancy practice. So I'll pass you over to Nigel now to introduce himself. Hello, Stuart. Yeah, pleasure to be here to talk through dilapidations aspect. Uh, as you said, I've been at Fenwright quite a time and probably 30% of our workload is dealing with uh, dilapidations both on uh, landlord and tenant side, liaising with solicitors in that regard, both at lease end and also during, during lease periods as well. Uh, with regard to interim and repairs notices. Brilliant. It'll be an interesting discussion to have because from the or from a lawyer's perspective, when we first get involved, that tends to be at, at heads of terms stage. We'll get some heads of terms usually emailed across to us and within those there'll be a repairing obligation, usually a full repairing obligation, but there are others which we can obviously run through. At what stage would you tend to get involved? You're, you're not involved at heads of term stage, are you? It's a bit later on that the surveyors no, can... No, that's right. Not at all. The first time we'll, we'll, we'll have any uh, side of a lease is generally when a, a lease is coming to an end or, as I say, if there's a, a breach uh, of a covenant uh, during the lease term. So the lease will land on our on our desk or obviously by email uh, in, in today's world. And um, we'll look through the lease, uh, looking at the repair covenants, decoration, yielding up, etc., and just just get an idea of uh, the, the obligations within, and um, just trying to get an idea really of get get, get into the heads and minds of the solicitors that were drafting the, the the lease to just try and get at what they were trying to achieve with the lease with regards to repairing obligations. As you say, sometimes well, in most cases they're for repairing. Um, uh, they may be subject to the repair, may be subject to a shelter condition, but also a decorative condition subject to a shelter condition. But there may also be elements excluded. For the main item that's generally excluded uh, is, is is the roof, which I suppose could have quite a uh, or could be quite a large liability for for a tenant there if the roof. Uh, well, that's need, right. Needs that's some right. repairs made. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, it's interesting because where roofs are excluded, it's mainly on warehouse buildings, and so the tenant has no liability for the repair of the the roof. It, it may be fine at the commencement of the lease, but sometimes they're, they're even not, 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 not in repair at the commencement. And, um, generally the roofs are excluded because they're, they're, they're deemed to have issues with them, maybe an aging roof, uh, or maybe asbestos. And then during the lease term, uh, there may be leaks or, or other, other disrepair. Uh, and then it's for the landlord to come back and, and undertake those repairs. Uh, or in some cases, the tenant may, may have to undertake them themselves and try and recover costs from the landlord. But, as you can appreciate, sometimes landlords aren't hands-on with their properties and getting to come back to deal with roof situations can be quite quite difficult. Quite tricky. Mm. So it sounds to me, and the advice for, for, from us at Ellison's would always be that when looking at the repairing obligation, we need to make sure that they're, or the obligations themselves are appropriate to the term of the lease, uh, the condition of the premises, and also the financial terms. And I know that sometimes conflicts with the landlord trying to secure a clear income stream. Um, so the landlord will be trying to pay out as less as possible, I suppose, um, on repairs and the tenant wants to make sure that they're not hit with a, with a large unexpected bill at lease end. So I think f- for me as a lawyer, that would always come back to looking at the standard of repair that's been put forward, making sure that that's appropriate, but also looking at what 
is actually being demised and what the tenant has taken a lease of. Because if we've got a lease of, as you said, uh, the whole of a, I think you said a whole of a unit, that would include the roof and the roof could be quite problematic yeah. when it comes to repair. But if you've got a property where it's just the internal parts, maybe the landlord's picking up the well, that's obligation. Right. Yeah. Under, that landlord may be liable for the structure and the tenant has only got internal repair liability and, and that may also exclude windows. Um, so again, the landlord would have to maintain the structure. So it's, it's like in a, obviously a multi-occupied uh, office property, but in those situations, obviously, the, the, the land would maintain the structure, etc., but obviously recover by way of a service charge. By way of a service mm. charge. So with regards to the, the standards of repair, we've obviously mentioned a full repair, and you also mentioned a schedule of condition, uh, which is usually something that solicitors like to advise their clients to uh, seek to agree if possible. Um, so it'd be interesting just to explore what is a full repairing lease or how, how you would assess that obligation um, and then also the schedule of condition and what you can do as surveyors to assist a tenant with preparing a schedule of condition and limiting their liability where, where possible. So I think on the, on the full repairing lease, we would always, or we would tend to see an obligation to keep the property in good repair and condition. So my question to you is what would you consider to be disrepair? It depends on the property, its use, uh, where it is. When I inspect a property uh, and I have the lease in hand, if it's full repairing, um, also have to consider the lease term. Um, my first instinct is to the property should be left in tenable condition, so it should be left so that a new tenant can move move in without having to undertake any major works uh, to facilitate that with regards to undertaking repair and redecoration. And then it's then looking at the fine tuning of the wording within the lease with regards to the repair is whether it's substantial repair or it may say tenantable repair. Uh, so if it's substantial repair, then certainly you'd expect a higher level of uh, repair the property to be put in. As I say, coming back to the type of property, if it's, if it's uh, an A1 office, then certainly you would expect elements to be in good repair. Uh, whereas if it was a, a 50, 60 year old asbestos, warehouse then i think you'd have to make some allowances and take into consideration the age of the property and the age of the materials in place so you're as a surveyor you're not looking to assess perfect repair then you do have to take everything in the round so as you said if it's a an a1 brand new or or, or really good class of office suite then the standard of repair is going to be completely different to that of a, a an older industrial unit but it's not perfect repair. Is that is that? Yeah, yeah. Think? As I say, every, every situation is different because every property is, is is different, and 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 the leases attached to the properties are different as well. And if a tenant say, enters into a lease on a on a brand new property and say the lease term is only for three years, then then you really would expect that property to be handed back in similar condition because there's no allowance for fair wear and tear it's 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 if carpets if carpets form part of the uh, landlord's fiction fittings then if there's, there's going to be wear on those carpets they'll need to be uh, replaced uh inherent defects uh in, in 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 new properties as well you have to consider that um so if if for example there's a roof that's, that's leaking perhaps after five years uh, of a 10-year uh, lease, um, you, you could perhaps argue that's, that's an inherent defect rather than being a, a tenant liability because you, you perhaps wouldn't expect, well, you wouldn't expect a, 
a roof to be leaking after five years on, on, on a new building. So uh, the, the tenant may may have some justified uh, claim there to go back to the landlord to say, look, this isn't my responsibility. This this is yours. Um, and then you you know you did, say if it was a ten year break and it was five years, then it could be a five year five year break, and um, uh, and that would be considered a, at that stage. Just jumping into in, inherent defects. So an inherent defect, uh, from my understanding anyway, is a defect in the design or, or construction of the building. So if we were to be looking at a lease of a, of a brand new building that had just been constructed and finished off, we'd be looking at carving out from the tenant's repair and obligation any liability to deal with inherent defects. Um, as, as lawyers, we would be concerned that any liability for inherent defects would be caught by the full repair and covenants. And there could be the situation where the defect itself has to be remedied before the disrepair can be put good, which could have quite a large mm. cost implication to the tenant. Um, but in the scenario you were just running through with inherent defects, is that more so looking at a building that has been newly constructed, perhaps been in, in place for five years where you shouldn't really have any defects five years down the line and they're starting to arise now well this is it yes if a landlord's undertaken works to a, a building refurbished it and, and say perhaps an example is put in a new flat roof covering on um you wouldn't expect that to be leaking after after five years if it was no fault of the tenant i.e if the tenant hadn't damaged it you can't see why why the tenant would be liable for that it surely should go back to the landlord as an inherent defect because it's either down to poor design or poor installation of the roof itself. And one would hope that if the landlord had undertaken those works, that they had a warranty or guarantee in place to go back to the original contractor. And when you're looking at obviously larger construction schemes, if, if a new warehouse is constructed, then certainly uh, a tenant entering into a lease would should request that there are uh, collateral warranties etc in place which are transferable uh, just in case there is a claim and and then and obviously the contractor disappears etc perfect so that to me anyway highlights how important repair is and you have to look at the, the age of the building the circumstances and there's not there's not really a black and white answer by the by no the not at all not at all every, every dilapidation claim is different it's rarely that they're they're the same and uh, sometimes yeah in most cases perhaps a different approach has to be taken and as I say it's it's the first time we consider matters is when the lease lease comes through and we we, we look at the lease uh, and then go to the property and then we probably look at the lease again because obviously once we've been to the property we have a better understanding of uh, any limitations there maybe with regards to uh, landlord making a claim so so does it help then from the surveyor's perspective to have a schedule of condition agreed where obviously the landlord will agree to one to to limit the tenant's repair and obligations by reference to hopefully that photographic schedule so they don't have to improve the property they only have to return it yeah in the that's right it was in. well it works both ways to be fair if the landlord had spent money on the property and put it in into repair then having a shuttle of condition in place also reinforces that at least end, showing it was in good repair and there is no argument about that. Uh, and then going back to the tenant, uh, from a tenant's perspective, uh, if they're taking the property and it is in poor condition, then yes, it's, it, it, it would be our advice to an ingoing tenant to have a shuttle of condition in place to record the condition of the property, uh, any disrepair elements, uh, to limit claim in the future. Sometimes that also drifts over into uh, redecoration as well. Uh, we're starting to see that quite a bit more now where a dec decorative condition is also 
included and limited by way of a shuttle condition, which also has a host of other implications as well. Because if a if, if the tenant doesn't have a liability to perhaps decorate a property outside and it was in poor condition when they took it, then timber window frames are going to continue to fall into further disrepair. So it's, it's, it's just consideration at least drafting the lease from a landlord's perspective. They, they need to really consider um, the limitations that may be in place uh, with regards to repair of the tenant. And the tenant isn't going to undertake these works, so the landlord may have to put their hand in the pocket to go in and undertake those works whilst the lease is in place to preserve their investment. That makes sense. And with regards to the photographic schedules themselves or the or the, the schedules of condition, we see various different ones across our desks, sometimes with uh, really clear photographs, digital photographs, descriptions, um, others just with descriptions and some might just have a couple of photos. What would your advice be as surveyors um, with regard to preparing the best possible schedule to protect both the landlord and the tenant and any potential dispute at, at lease end? Yeah, it's, it's well, I, over my 25 years at Fenride, I've, I did five years in London before that as well, but schedules and conditions perhaps originally started off just as text with no photographs because it was done on a 35 millimeter camera and half the time the photographs didn't come out properly. You'd only realize that once you've got back to the office and <laughs> et cetera. Um, and then the, it didn't have the ability to photocopy them that well either. So perhaps if you've got a 20 year old lease, 25 year old lease, which wasn't uncommon back then, uh, it would have this, what was considered to be a good shell of condition. Back then, back then, but then you're looking at it in today's world and you end up with these perhaps just text or, or black and white photographs which have been photocopied about 10 times. No one can track down the original schedule condition. Um, and that weakens negotiations potentially for both parties, really. We, within our schedules of condition, we went through a process of providing color copy photographs and then we, we, we started putting these on CD ROMs and providing CD ROMs. But obviously that, that we, <laughs> we then ended having problems with that because no one has CD ROMs anymore in today's world. So we've then started using USB sticks. We were attaching those to hard copies, but then during COVID, everyone seemed to come away from paper copies completely. So now what we tend to do is, is everything is done by way of email and PDFs. And then, and then we, we will, offer the digital images because I don't think there's anything better than having the digital images that we've taken and sharing those with both party solicitors, but also both well, for them to forward on to both parties so that they can retain those digital photographs themselves for future reference. Because if it's a 10-year lease and they come back to, to us perhaps in, in 10 years' time, we may not have those files still. So it's really parties should make sure that they keep good, accurate records um, so that they these can be utilised in the future. And uh, another area we've got into recently as well is is, is drone photographs as well, uh, having the drone going up and taking fantastic pictures of, of roofs now and yard areas and also flying flying the drone within warehouses, it, you know, getting it up high in, in a warehouse and getting really good pictures of structural floor slab, the condition of that internally. And again, it's just all this extra information we can now now have and include within schedules, which... As I say, if you're looking at a 20 year old lease and the shell condition that was attached to that, it's just, it's just, it's complete contrast to what, what you can prepare now. So it's really, really important. It's important to, to good, invest in a invest, surveyor. Invest in a surveyor <laughs> and invest in a, in a good schedule. Cause I've, I've seen it before where we've got a schedule of condition. The roofs 
included in the repair and obligation, but there's no mention of the roof. No. So, so, yeah, so, so what, yeah. what would be the, the advice in that, in that scenario where clearly the party's intended for the roof to be limited by a scheduler condition, but it's not being covered? Yeah. It's Is normally it's, the uh, tenant that engages with a surveyor. Uh, to have the schedule condition prepared and it's agreed in terms of engagement with the surveyor. The surveyor should have a good understanding of what is being demised under the lease, so what's to be included. Uh, and if the roof's included in the demise, then the roof should be inspected uh, and, the, and the condition recorded. I've also seen some schedules over the years where the roof hasn't been included. Um, don't know why they just said in the schedule ac- access not, not possible to the roof. As a landlord surveyor, my approach would be that the roof was in repair because there's nothing to say otherwise. So for the sake of perhaps hiring a cherry picker at the time, which may have been 300, 350 pounds, if you get up onto a large warehouse roof and it's suffering from cut edge corrosion, the roof lights need replacing, then the tenant could be looking at a 20, 30,000 pound claim against them. Big sums potentially. Yeah. Involved. Yeah. Definitely. And it's, 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 it's definitely worse if, if the tenant, can get a shell of condition attached to the lease and that shell of condition needs to be detailed and cover the whole property as much as possible. Uh, I've, I've had, I have prepared schedules over the years which have gone off to, off to, to a landlord surveyor and they've, they've perhaps said that there's too much included and they've wanted some items taken out. Um, obviously we need to stand our ground on that because if something is in disrepair, it needs to be shown. But on the flip side of that, they've also argued that something was in good repair and that should also be stated, which, which, which we do. So. So that sounds to me like getting the surveyor involved or a surveyor involved as soon as possible is quite key because from the tenant's point of view, we'd be advising on the lease. You're looking at full repair, possible schedules of condition, possibly excluding areas from the full repair if they're if they're in not a very good state of repair on site, but we're not going to know that. We don't inspect the property. We, we don't go out. No. no. Um, so do, do you think that there's grounds for a surveyor to get involved at heads of term stage, perhaps, or, or during the lease negotiations to look at these potential liabilities and costs? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely. Um, because sometimes as well, tenants aren't, aren't even represented legally, are they? They'll, they'll represent themselves. Yeah, um, and and if 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 a tenant is signing up to a property that is in disrepair and they're expected to put it back into repair, they the, the tenant needs to consider that. And there's 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 other ways around it as well. Of course, um, if a property is in disrepair, a, a tenant may be obtaining a three, six, nine, twelve month rent free period to deal with those elements of disrepair. Uh, and that's something else I have to consider when I look at a lease. You know, when I go and look at a property. Um, it's in disrepair, uh, and the tenant argues that it was in poor condition. I, I'll then look at back at the lease one and say, hang on it, there's, you had a six month rent free period. Perhaps you could argue that two months was because of market conditions, but there was, there must have been reasoning why, why the tenant got that extra incentive on that rent free period. It was expected of them to put the property in repair. So, you, so you're looking at the lease in the round then, and you're looking at the circumstances. Well, trying to look at the circumstances That's at the right. time, which perhaps could be 10 years later. It's a bit of a crystal ball yeah, exercise. Yeah, crystal ball. Sounds like yeah. mis- mystic mega <laughs> exercise to try and, try and work it all out. But I think leading on from that then, when it comes to lease end, we would typically see an obligation in the lease, or we would see an obligation in the lease for, for the tenant to yield up, so to return the property back in repair. So that that property has to be returned back to the landlord in the repair required by the lease. However, that or however that was agreed. 
when should surveyors get involved in that when, when when would you suggest is the best time for you to go in and have a look at the condition of the property and yeah that's a good question um it's interesting because even even with the landlords it's always good to inspect property good time before before lease end uh tactically sometimes a landlord may prefer to do it after lease end but of course the, the tenant shouldn't expect the landlord to prepare a schedule of dilapidations the, the tenant is, is under a contract to comply with repair decorative conditions within, um, they, they, they shouldn't need to be instructed as to what to do. So if a lease is coming to an end, certainly the tenant should perhaps consider speaking to a surveyor if the landlord surveyor hasn't inspected perhaps within three months before the end of the term, just to ha- obtain an idea of what, what a potential claim could be. And uh, certainly we, we, we do prepare um, schedules which are called anticipated schedules of limitations, oh, okay. just... Just to give uh, a tenant an idea of what a potential claim could be, and uh, they, they can range greatly because there's, there's so many factors that that need to be considered. And, and again, it comes back to crystal ball. You just don't know how the landlord's going to uh, proceed with the claim and, and what their intentions actually are for the property. So it's, it's always a good idea if, if um, well, it's good practice if if uh, a, a tenant hasn't received a schedule um, of dilapidations perhaps within three months before the end of the term. Perhaps they need, they should be speaking to the landlord to say, look. Are you going to send a survey around if, if they're not intending to? Uh, because it's, they don't have to inspect before lease end. They, they may choose to inspect after lease end uh, shortly after. It's certainly good practice to do it shortly after, not, not, <laughs> not too much after. Um, just to give them some assistance. And, um, if a tenant has a few months to go before lease end, then certainly they could, if they're able to, they could undertake some, some of the works, works themselves, you know, mm. and it's, it's at a lower cost rather than just handing the keys back at lease end and then, then, uh, having to negotiate a, a financial settlement with the landlord, which, which can be a bit painful having to hand money over After on a property you're leaving. Leaving. And I suppose if, if the landlord does decide to do the schedule of dilapidations or look at the repair after lease end, then that's not given the tenant the opportunity then to, to, as you said, to carry out those repairs themselves. And if they were to try and go into the property and, and do that, I think we're we're looking at trespass. Oh, certainly, the that's key, right. The keys that's are back. Right. The keys are back. No, there's certainly misunderstandings, particularly with smaller sort of tenancies, you know, small shops, etc. They sometimes they just don't appreciate that once the lease is contractually ended, that's it. They've got to hand the keys back, and there's there's no going back and dealing with matters after the lease has ended. Therefore, obviously, got to be dealt with beforehand. So, yeah, it's it's it's. It's just good practice, really. Um, and even from a landlord's perspective, it's, it's good practice to get in a few months before lease end, inspect the property, prepare a claim and issue it to the tenant because it, it benefits the landlord. You need to get in there to see the condition of the property coming up to lease end, but also at lease end to pick up the, the, the relevant defects. If, if, if you leave it for three, three months, six months after the lease has ended and there's a roof leak, perhaps the tenant may argue the roof leak wasn't there when they moved out. So. It's just trying to get everything achieved really before or on the lease end date with regards to inspections and schedules. Brilliant. Oh, thank you very much, Nigel. That was really, really interesting and provided some really good practical advice and, and examples that perhaps as, as lawyers we don't, we don't come across and, and see because we're not on the ground or yeah. in, the, in the sky potentially <laughs> looking, at, looking at roofs. Um, so no, really, really, really helpful. So I think what I took from our discussion is to engage a surveyor in the process as early on as possible. Also get your solicitors involved at heads of term stage. We need to make sure that you're fully aware um, on the implications of the repair and obligations that you're signing up for. 
Um, and also just to make sure that they're appropriate to the, to, to the letting. If you've, you've got a, an 18 month letting on a, on a full repair and lease, it might not be appropriate. So, so speak, yeah, speak to solicitors, right. speak, speak to a surveyor. We're, we're here to safeguard you from, from potential costs later on. And by the sounds of it, especially in, in respect of roofs, they, yes. they, 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 <laughs> they could be quite substantial. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's certainly, yeah. Big warehouses, let's say, get up and have a look at a roof. We, we're never disappointed and it's going to be cut edge corrosion. There's going to be issues with the gutters and it's because they're big areas. It's, it's, it's big costs. Um, and those defects probably be, may have been in place at the commencement of the lease, but. If the tenant signed up to a full repairing lease, then they're going to be liable for it, unfortunately, putting it back into repair. Proceed with caution and take good advice. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Thank you for listening to Ellison's Connects and many thanks to Nigel Berry for joining me in this episode. Any additional guides and insights we have mentioned today will be available on our website. We do hope you found this episode insightful and if you'd like to discuss anything further on this subject, then please do get in touch via our website ellisonssolicitors.com please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on our social media channels to keep up to date with latest news and insights any information shared on this podcast was accurate at the time of recording however we advise speaking to your usual ellison's advisor to make sure there hasn't been any changes since a big thank you to podtalk.co.uk for producing this podcast series today thank you very much